to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. We are so glad that you are with us today. We're going to talk all about the difference between living with a dog in the city and living with a dog in the mountains or the country. But before we kind of get into that, I want um, my special guest to be able to introduce himself. So Ken, do you want to introduce yourself to everybody for the listeners? Hi, I'm Ken McLeod. I'm a dog trainer in Hoboken, New Jersey. Um, (laughs) As Rachel said, it's a little town. Well, it's one square mile with 55,000 people about and probably 30,000 dogs. Um, it's, it's quite unique. Um, I also work at Saturday Night Live. I, I'm a designer there. And um, there you go. That's kind of who I am. Okay. So can you tell everybody just a little bit about how you got into positive reinforcement training? Because I think that that I don't know. I, I'm sure people are probably surprised to hear that like you work at Saturday Night Live and then you're like, cool, I'm going to be a dog trainer too. Well, you, you know what happened was um, if my dog Scooter is four years old. And when I had got Scooter, I had all the intentions in the, of the world of bringing him and making him a therapy dog. And it wasn't until really about eight or nine months that I realized he'll never become a therapy dog. He was reactive, um, didn't like most dogs, didn't like most things. And um, so he actually inspired me to go to Karen Pryor. And I went to Karen Pryor and... Um, became a dog trainer there. And ever since then, I just, am just in just constantly reading and taking other courses and getting other certifications and all that. And it's really because of my dog scooter and where I live, I could see other dogs were struggling too. And um, so that's when I started my positive pup and it's honestly, it's been booming since I started it. And I think the positive reinforcement thing came in was the fact it was like, well, here's my little dog, afraid I'm, I'm not about to put a prong collar on him a shock collar or a slip lead you know what i'm saying and yank on his collar it would be the last thing in the world i'd want to do so anyways um there you go that's what happened and he's amazing now he he's still not a dog park dog and he won't be going to hospitals anytime soon but um he's much much better he's very happy he's in a good place um but he's still quite a bit of work i mean quite a bit of work it always starts with that one dog, doesn't it? Who like yes, just completely does. opens your eyes. And like, I think we all have those hopes, right? Of like getting a dog and like, you know, doing something meaningful with them. But then I like those gentle reminders when the dogs remind us like, hey, listen, I'm an individual. I have needs. I do not yes. fit into your mold, right? Like, and I think that that could be challenging for a lot of people. And it, it just makes me so happy to hear that Scooter was like, I'm having a hard time. You're like, cool. So I'm going to learn how to help you. And here you are now a positive reinforcement trainer. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, that happened too, was I had another dog, Mac, who um, was my world for, for, I guess, 12 years or so. And um, I didn't know what I know now with Mac, but Mac was a well-adjusted dog. And um, so having Scooter was like, oh my God, what is this? This is insanity. And when my client, when I have a client who come who have reactive dogs, I feel their pain. I totally do. And, but the good thing is, I wish I had somebody like me to tell me when Scooter was younger, what to do, because I, I had have lots of success with this, with the dogs. And it really, it, it, 
it only takes a, a few sessions to teach the parents, but as long as they put it in practice, you can see results pretty much pretty fast. I mean, if you, you do the right things, you know? And I feel like we get to save like dog guardians so much like emotional turmoil, just being able to get in there and be like, it's okay. This is what we can do to help them feel better. Because I think that so many guardians struggle with like, they feel like they're the problem. They feel like it's their fault. They feel like the dog is trying to like, you know, assert control over them. And I think that that brings up so much emotion on the human end. So it's like being able to come in and be like, this isn't your fault. Your dog isn't trying to be an asshole. Cool. So this is what we're going to do going forward. I think it just saves everybody so much time and drama. <laughs> it does. And I think the other thing that's, that's tough about reactive dogs especially in a city environment is because there's so many people and there's your dog flipping out and everybody's looking at you like, Oh, look at that dog flipping out. Oh my God. look at that <laughs> right. dog flipping out. So it's like, it becomes a, a level of embarrassment. And one of the things that I learned very, very quickly with Scooter is when in the beginning, when he was flipping out, it was like, okay, let's just move on. Let's just move on. Like, you know, you know, it's, it's okay. I have bad days too. And last thing I want is anybody yelling at me. So we're just going to move on. And, and I think when I tell my clients that it's just when, if, if you unfortunately have the dog, he does get over threshold. If something happens, comes around a corner and it happens, just move on. You know what I mean? You don't have to sigh. You don't have to look at the people. Oh my God, I'm sorry. This and that. You just move on. And, um, makes a big difference. Makes a big difference. Totally. Totally. Okay. So I want to, I want to start by talking a little bit about this phrase that a lot of like dog trainers use and it's behavior exists in environments. And I think that that's like a really broad statement. And really our goal today, everyone is to help you understand like what that really means. And I think that when we talk about dogs, it, the same is true for our behavior, right? Like, I don't know about you all, but if you are in a busy place and you're feeling stressed and then you get yourself out into nature and you feel a little bit more at peace, that is the environment having a huge impact on your behavior. But we really want to troubleshoot what to do if you live in very busy environments and you don't have the luxury of the peace and quiet <laughs> of, of out in the, out in the, uh, the woods. Okay. So, um, I, I want to start Ken by letting you kind of, um, spotlight some of the things that you obviously deal with, with your own dogs, but your clients deal with some of the, you know, pressures of living in the city environment. So obviously leash laws are one of those, right? Like I know a lot of places dogs have to be on leashes. Do you have out, uh, off leash places that you can take your dogs to? Um, not a lot in the New York city area. I, um, we go quite almost every single day to Liberty state park, which is in the Jersey side. It looks over the, the back of the statue of Liberty. And, um, we go there, you're not supposed to have off leash though. People do, which drives me nuts. Um, but we, you know, we do a lot of 16 foot leads over there, um, w- with the dogs. The, the, the thing too, with, with the city is, um, they're always on a leash. They, they don't get that freedom other than in dog parks. And the problem with reactive dogs in dog parks is they don't really go well in dog parks, um, if at all. So, you know, my heart breaks for these dogs. The other thing too is being a, a reactive dog in a country will never have to freak out when it hears a Harley Davidson. There are no Harley Davidsons in the woods. Um, the other thing too that will never freak out is six or 18 wheelers plowing through town when they're not supposed to be here. Um, Coming around turns, it's, it's, there's so many more triggers, not to minimize country dog reactivity at, at all, um, though it's, um, it's hard, it, it, it's very hard to keep the dogs 
under threshold without a boatload of awareness. And one of the things, and I'm sure you probably feel the same way, I wish I had eyes in the back of my head um, because you really have to live in 360 no matter where you are um, because it's that thing that comes out of nowhere. It's like, oh, damn. And um, there goes the dog. I also, like I said, I have a house in Vermont also, and I have clients up there too. And it's very different, their needs in both places. Um, I don't get a lot of reactive dog clients in Vermont because they live on farms. They have lots of land and lots of space. Um, where I do get a lot is when these people from the country move to the city and um, the dogs really, really struggle. But I'm, like I said, I'm not trying to minimize anything. I, I see dogs you know, all over the place who are fearful and it breaks my heart for them. And one of the big things I just tell everybody in, in, a, in a huge fan of this is like, you know, you have to love them. You have to praise them. You have to reinforce them and you have to do it over and over and over and over and over again. It's how they get better. You can't yell at them. You can't scold them. You can't, you can't. Right. Well, and I think that like, you know, we're all human, right? And everyone of this podcast knows I, I did a podcast episode entitled to yell or not to yell. And I think that, you know, the overarching trend is let's not yell at the dogs, but we're all human, right? Yes. But okay, so I want to circle back to the the pressure of city life and dogs pretty much for the most part, having to be on a leash. I think that you brought up the 16 foot leash, which I think brings up a really good point. So for those of you who live under the constraints of being in a city, and while the dogs can't always be off leash, never discount how valuable just a little extra leash can be. And like a big grassy area where they can do a lot of sniffing, right? I think that it can be a really nice in between. And while, you know, I think that if you have a young active dog, the long leash is still going to be challenging challenging for them, but we're at least meeting them halfway, right? And giving them a little bit more leash to move more freely. So can you talk just a little bit about like, do you feel like dogs in the city when you work with them, like leash manners and pulling on leash, do you feel like that's more prevalent just because they don't get as many opportunities to move more freely and like (laughs) not be... Yes. And like that was what I was saying, like my clients in Vermont never, ever come to me because my dog is pulling on the leash ever. <laughs> it's, 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 that's, it's, it's recall. Do you know what I'm saying? And like, I never get clients in Hoboken worried about recall. The dog's only ever six feet away. I get dogs pulling and lunging and barking. My dog jumps on people all the time. And I tell them all the time. It's like, well, the reason why your dog jumps on people is because of the fact that people make dog junk on people. It's not the dog. (laughs) And then they go, Oh, Oh, Oh. And um, so, yeah, like another thing too, that's really important is I tell everybody, regardless of where you live in the city, there are certain holes in the city that just aren't as busy on certain times of day Um, in Hoboken, like with my dog scooter, um, we only go out after 9am. Luckily he doesn't have to pee before then. Um, I take him out again before one because every dog walker in the world in Hoboken is out between one and four. Then we go back out at four and then we go back out at like eight, eight thirty before everybody takes their dog out between the nine and 11 o'clock pee. Um, I do have another dog Jersey. Who's a mini Australian shepherd. She's one and a half years old. And I only reason I haven't mentioned her yet is because she has no issues. She's very, very happy. <laughs> she gets along with everybody. Um, so that's, you know what I mean? It's, it's a big difference. The, the other thing too, is I wanted to also say with city dogs and another trainer I was talking to about this pack walks are really popular here. And I'm not a big fan of them simply because of the fact that if you see a pack walk, you never see any of the dogs sniffing ever. They just kind of follow each other along in robots. And it's 
it's actually kind of sad because once you get these dogs off out of the pack walk, they want to sniff, they need their individuality and it doesn't happen. And unfortunately there's this big thing, especially, you know, I'm sure in all cities that like pack walks are great and oh my God, they're so good for dogs. It breaks my heart. It just, it just breaks my heart for them. Well, and it's like, once you start to really understand dog body language, you can't unsee it. Right. And like, when you see those big packs of dogs, you can't help but notice those body language cues that are not like I'm having the greatest time ever. It's usually right. More of those fear, like discomfort responses. And I wholeheartedly agree. Pack walks are so egocentric around the human and they are not in the best interest of the dog. No. And especially when these dudes are walking down the street with all these dogs and they're like, excuse my language. Like they think they're badasses, and it's kind of like, what, what, I don't even get it. You, like, where, where are you getting this feeling from? I don't, you, you're just, you would like, I don't get it. And anyway, so yeah, I'm a big fan of, you know, of individuality that, that that's for sure. Though, though I do feel as though, you know, like every night I take both my dogs for walks, my wife and I, and they do really great and they enjoy each other's time together and stuff like that. But even during the day, like we walk them individually, you know, we, we do, they just, because we have to, do you know what I'm saying? Because it's just the city environment. It's just too much. And I never wanted, when we first got Jersey, we really made a conscious decision to not walk Jersey with scooter because we didn't want Jersey to see ever if yeah. the scooter went over threshold. And, he, and like I said, he's much, much better now. He's four years old. You know, he's had his 12th millionth click a couple of weeks ago, ago. Um, you know, so he's much, much better. But the thing that has also been amazing is the fact that, what has happened and because we've just been all over it is scooters picked up jerseys good things and it's the first time scooters actually become like a dog like he he went into a, a true play ball the other day and i had tears rolling down my face i was like oh my god it's the first time ever he's ever done a real play ball so Aww. yeah it's amazing how how it all happens and once again it happened in good old hoboken new jersey it didn't happen in Vermont, <laughs> so yeah, so I feel like obviously the leash constraints, right? Put a there's a huge variable of that in our dog's behavior being in a city. The yes. noises, right? And I think it's huge, huge. Right. And I think especially for the dogs who struggle with some of the noise sensitivity, it's one of those that like we can never decrease the overall noises, right? Like that's just something that's part of it, right? And I think that that's why veterinary behaviorists and like the help of of pharmaceutical intervention has been so prevalent in the city just because some of these dogs if without like the bridge of medication there's no way because we can't decrease the overall noise level we can't decrease the overall triggers I mean we can't do a small degree right like you have gotten really good at timing but there's also things you can't predict or anticipate Here's something just just for instance, I thought it was really interesting. I took out Scooter this morning for his walk. We were out for, I don't know, 45 minutes or so. You know what I mean? It was very, very cold here today. So that was actually a pretty good walk for Scooter anyways. We passed 14 dogs, 14 dogs. Okay. So like that's it after nine o'clock in the morning. There, there is, there are always dogs in the street. And while we're out there, never mind the dogs that were working around and so on. There's the fire engine. There's always the ambulance. There's always the cop car. There is now the UPS guys and Amazon truck delivery guys everywhere. The noises are unbelievable. And for dogs like Scooter, he's much, much better at it now, but noise sensitivity, it's, it's, it can be very, very hard. And 
it's, it's hard to, you can't control those. You know what I mean? You can't control those noises. So yeah, as, as far as like that goes, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, it's, it's not easy. And, and like, when we go to Vermont, like, you know, we don't hear that stuff. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing difference. Also too, it's like not to completely veer off track, but when we go to Vermont, we leave here, however long we're here, we go to Vermont. It's actually when we come back from Vermont, after the first or second day, both dogs poop go to hell. Um, and it's stress related. It's totally wow. stressful. It takes them three or four days before it comes back. We've nailed it down now. And even no matter how many probiotics or whatever we're giving them, you don't even need to make their bellies better. It's the stress relate that they have to adjust. And it's just like that alone says a lot. You know what I mean? It, it, it does. Right. right. Okay. Yeah. So I just want to take a moment to shout out all of you beautiful people listening who are managing reactive dogs in a dense city. Like seriously, bravo to you because we know the realities of what you are up against. Right. So I just want to celebrate all of you who are listening who are like, oh my God, these are my people. They totally understand what I'm going through. And I think we can't, you know, veer off the city conversation without talking about the inevitable, inevitable buildup of stress, right? I think that trigger stacking is something that is just unfortunately so prevalent because we can't manage the environment to prevent our dogs from seeing the things that trigger them. No, you can't manage the environment. And, and the other thing too, that, that um, trigger stacking is really, really, really important. And I, and I tell all my clients, you know, the, the, their number one job, regardless if they ever hired me again, regardless if you ever, ever hired me, then you have to keep the dog below threshold. And people always say, well, I have to cross the street all the time. Yep, that's what you have to do. <laughs> and um, it's just part of it. And, and, I, and I think the thing for me and for my clients is I explain to them, once you accept the fact that your dog is this way, this is really the hardest thing for most people is accepting they're not going to have that dog we all dream about. And once you accept it, it actually gets easier. And there's this really great quote, I've seen it on Instagram quite a few times. It's like, you know, my dog started getting better once I listened to it. And it's, it, it's, it's true. And um, once you start listening to your dog and putting the goddamn phone down and on walks, <laughs> yeah. um, you'll, you'll start having success just on that alone. And, um, you know, I tell one of the, my big sayings is like, you know, oh, you got a dog to walk your iPhone. I get it. I get it. And it's like, it's heartbreaking. But I think really for the people who are listening in the city, it's really so much about keeping them below threshold and keeping them comfortable distance. And I know how hard it is, is your best friend. And you have to really, really work at it. I tell you, I looked out my window for three or four weeks and just picked the times and knew when the best times to go out. And, um, you know, there are times now it's like, I'll take scooter I'm not so much afraid to take him to certain places because I've gotten good at it. And like, you know, you know what I mean? But still I'm am looking for the holes opportunity. Like, well, this is a good spot over here. We'll just go over here first. I, I took scooter for the first time to SNL a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday. We don't shoot on Wednesdays. We have to go in and get tested for COVID. And there's like nobody there. And um, he did amazing. And I had these sweatshirts made that say, ignore my dog, I'm not kidding. And I told everybody at SNL, um, um, you know, you have to ignore my dog, you have to ignore us. So when in, it was probably 40 people there and everybody ignored Scooter. He did amazing. He did, did so, 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 so good. So that was a step one. As far as like taking him to a shoot when there's a hundred people there, I don't know about that yet, <laughs> but at least I'm building up his confidence. And that's another thing I tell people too. It's like, you know, all of these things, 
if you go slow enough, your dog will build up to it, but you can't just throw them in it. It's too much. You can't, you know, as someone who lives out West, you know, you can't start, you know, on the black diamonds until you at least learn on the, on the bunny slopes and the green slopes. And, um, the first thing I tell everybody, the first thing, regardless of reactivity or not, or ever said, I said, there's, there's two things that matter to a dog, only two things. And they looked at me like, well, and I said, am I safe in food? And, and, and I said, do you remember when COVID hit? And they go, yeah. And I said, what were the two things you were most freaked out about? Were you safe? And who's going to shop right? <laughs> who's going to bet food? And they go, oh my God, you're right. And I said, now imagine the dog. Now imagine the dog, it doesn't speak English or French or whatever it may be. It, two things that matter. It needs to feel safe and it needs to know which resources there. And this is where positive reinforcement comes in. It is about feeling safe and having their resource. They don't hang out at barbecues begging for food. It's in their DNA. They can't help it. And it's like, once you come to understand that, it makes all the difference in the world. It really, really does. Well, yeah. And I think like understanding like the baby steps towards the final product, I think just giving everyone permission that like your dog doesn't have to do that tomorrow. We got time. You have a lifetime to put in the time and the energy. And I love so much how you were able to take Scooter. There were less people. People actually ignored him. Like that's so wonderful, right? And I think that there is a lot of creativity planning and proactive strategy that can take you so far with whatever type of dog, especially if you have a reactive dog in a city environment, but it definitely takes more planning and more creativity. Way more planning. When I take Jersey out for walks, it doesn't matter where we go. Where do you want to go? We'll go to CVS. Great. Let's go in this week. Anywhere we go, just, we just go. She's happy. Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, it's, it's actually a nice relief. I'm actually glad I have Jersey for that. Um, but it's like with Scooter, it, it has become more of a game of, of life. And, um, you know, I'm an introvert myself too. So like, like, I don't, there's lots of things I want to avoid anyways, but it's, um, I do, I, I think the planning becomes a positive challenge. I, I think, it, and when you see, start to see your, 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 your pup succeed, it gives you, it makes you feel great. I mean, it makes you feel on, awesome. Like, Oh, hell yeah. That's like a joy I want to share with everyone because once yeah. you kind of like iron out that rhythm, Oh, it's, it's so sweet to like ride that out. Okay. So I want to contrast a little bit, um, dogs who get to exist in places where there aren't as many people, there aren't as many dogs, there isn't as much noise. I think that as a baseline, I think that a dog who lives in a country environment, a mountain environment just doesn't even really need the same fluency or level of skill set because the environment is set up as such that they can move freely. They can sniff. They can yes. run. And I yes. think that when we set it up so that the dog can just like go and do dog stuff, there's way less demand for them to be able to do a lot of things, right? right. Like right. there's just, there's such a huge contrast in being able just to let a dog exist in an environment that was created for dogs versus a dog who has to exist in an environment that did not have dogs really in mind at all. No, and, and, and that is the big difference. And, and that, that is, but you know, I, I want to say this about, about city dogs. Um, they are tough, man. They are, they are, they so are tough. resilient too and adaptable. And it's like, and you walk around like just in Hoboken. I'm, I live right across the river from Manhattan. And the other day, you know, I was in there working and, and I saw, see all these dogs and it's like, they are just so tough, man. It's just like, this is so much going on. And like, you know, you can, 
I give them so much credit and um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's almost like they shouldn't even be called dogs. They're like another whole creature. Um, do, I mean, you know they what I'm are, they're just like a more highly like evolved adaptive, like set of genes, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, they, do, they do adapt. And, um, but once again, too, it's like, I think most people do their best. I, I, I at least I would hope that. And, um, and I think when, you feel beat up and, and believe me, there are times too, it's like still to this day, sometimes something will come around a corner. It's like, Oh, there he goes. You know what I mean? Something just happened. Here comes a guy in an electric scooter, nothing I could do. And um, you know, at, at those moments, you just is, is, is defeating it as it may feel in that moment. You just have to go. It's okay. Let's move on. It's okay. And because your dog needs you to do that and um, you can't give up on them. You just, you, you can't, I mean, they're amazing creatures. And, and like I said, when I look at your stuff on Instagram and so on, I'm so envious. You have no idea. And, um, but we all can't be that lucky, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think like just to put another spotlight on like the brilliance of having a dog in a city environment is that I think that you get to reap the rewards of really frequent teamwork with your dog. Right. Because every day you have to go out together and it's, you know, you have to be working as a team. You have to be proactive. I think that like the, the suburbs or the country life or the mountain life, there's not as much of that pressure, right. To like work so much as a team, like it's so much easier just to be disconnected and hang on to the leash or just watch the dog do what they do. And I just don't think you get that same like no, you don't spark get a break. of connection. You don't really get a break. You don't get a break. It's, it's the people who get breaks are the dogs who are adjusted well. Like I said with my young dog Jersey, she's it's it's like I go out, it's not a big deal. You know what I'm saying? Everything's great. However, it's it's with Scooter, it's like you don't get a break. It's it's still a lot of work. We in and, and I I always prepare myself before I go out um, mentally and, and the whole thing. And I just say to myself, this could be a good one. Let's just go do the, do the best we can. And that's what, that's what you have to do. And, and I, like I said before, I think you have to look at it from the dog's point of view. Just imagine, like, can you even imagine what it's like for, especially like a rescue dog, some dogs come up, we get, I get so many dogs go to Texas, Puerto Rico, they, you know, you know what I mean? Like, you know, or even China. And it's like, these dogs are coming over and it's like, boom, here you are in this town of, it has to be completely overwhelming. And clients are saying, my dog doesn't want to walk. It's like, what would, would you, I mean, like, could you I mean, imagine? it's literally culture shock. It is right? Like, dogs. I mean, yeah. especially these dogs who are being imported from foreign countries. Like I just, it never ceases to amaze me how these dogs are so adaptable and resilient, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I think that for those of you listening who have a reactive dog and you live in the city, I want you to sit down right now and write a list of all of the progress you made and celebrate how adaptable your dog is, even though the world is a hard place to be adaptable to, you know, yeah. like, and I think that, it is. I can only imagine like the, the pressure and like how you always have to be on it. You have to be in trainer mode, right? Like you don't get the luxury of just like a carefree walk always, but it's no, worth it's it. Cold. Right. And like, no, it's cold. Once it's cold, then we're really, really, really happy. And today was like a really cold day and it was like, great. No one's out. Just Scooter and I, this was amazing. But it's like also too, but I, but I will, I will say this, like when you first start working with a reactive dog, it's way more work than once you start having success underneath your belt for a long time. You know, I can go out with Scooter now. We can walk past pretty much 
all dogs that I can see his body language, he'll be okay with it. Once I see, oh, there go the ears, or the, just I can see it's like, okay, let's go this way. We turn around. W- one of the big things I teach my clients all the time too is, is targeting, is touch. And um, I tell them, you have to use two fingers because you can't use your hands because everybody walks around like this. Your dog's going to be going to go touch everybody's hands. You got to use two fingers. And I can see people, especially this time, because it's a small town with the reactive dogs. I hear them touch, touch, touch. And I can see the dog going touch, 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 you know what I mean, right around. And it's like, it's so much better. I tell them it's so much better. The dog is touching your fingers and you're reinforcing it. Regardless, if you have a squeaky toy, picking them up and kissing them, whatever, give them a treat, whatever it is. It's better than them freaking out. And the other one, too, is I just want to say real quick, if there's one behavior, especially for city dogs, or any dog that I wish no one ever taught them is sit. And let me explain why it's it's. And I say this all the time. It's like, if you're walking down a dark alley and you see this guy coming at you and you're about to get mugged, possibly get mugged. And your mother comes out of nowhere and says, sit, are you insane? You want me to sit right now? I need to get out of here. And same thing, like if you're at a concert and here comes your favorite musician out on stage, you're all excited now. You stand up and yelling and your mother comes out of nowhere again and goes, sit. I use sit and I tell all my clients, you sit for fun. Sit should be for fun, 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 fun. If your dog's freaking out, the last thing you want them to do or have or they want to do is to sit, get them out of there. It's, it's, it's worse. Oh it's my worse. God, Ken, I want to hug you through the computer because it's so true, right? I think that oftentimes when I bring up targeting or touch, I think my clients have a hard time like grasping like, okay, but why? But right. why? But I think when we frame it as we're going to use this as the redirect, we're going to use this to get their attention. We're going to use this yes. to move them. And yes. we're going to use that in, in some of those places that maybe when you sit, I think it starts to bring like a new relevance, right? And I think that, you know, obviously city dogs probably need a lot more skills than the country life dogs. But I think that regardless of where your dog lives, touch is going to be a very valuable skill. It's huge. I have people come, oh yeah, my dog doesn't know how to do touch. I said, well, do you do it 500 times a day? Well, he kind of knows it. And I said, oh, you're not, you're not even remotely there. <laughs> Let me explain to you and show you. And sure enough, within five minutes, they're like, oh my God, that's wow. I never thought of it that way before. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's huge. It's huge. And I teach them too. You should target your dog. So they go behind you. You know, teach behind. I was like, go oh, behind, behind. And the dog will go behind you. And once they start grabbing onto the whole targeting thing, it opens up a whole nother world for them. One of the things I taught Scooter was in the beginning, when he would see another dog, if I felt as though I was going to lose him, was how to spin. And we'd be walking down the street. If I saw a dog come, I'd go, Scooter, spin, spin, spin. And he'd be spinning down the street. But he wasn't paying attention to the other dog. Or he knew the other dog was there. But he was doing this because this was way more fun because he was going to get a reinforcer from it. And still to this day, the other night, matter of fact, I was out. He comes to the dog. He goes, Scooter, spin. And he just spins. I don't even give him the, the visual cue anymore. He just does it. But oh once again, all, tar- all, all we're targeting. Targeting is the greatest thing. The greatest. It Love is. It. Okay. So in addition to targeting and spin, can you kind of just give the listeners an idea of some of the other skill sets that you use a lot with Scooter and you teach your clients for navigating city life? Watch me. Watch me is huge. It's um, the first thing I teach is, is to target, how to target, how to target properly. Then the other one I teach with the clicker is, the, is to watch me. That when they see the, the, the trigger, that they'll turn to watch me. What, what had 
and it takes time. This one, this one takes a little bit of time, but what I, I have them like, we, we practice in the studio, I'll knock at the door where the sound of the door becomes the cue for them to turn to watch me. And then I have like this dummy dog that I'll take out. You know what I mean? Like to, to yep. watch me. And as long as the timing's right, people will, will, will work on it and, and they'll get it. So that's, that's the other one I work on targeting targeting obviously is also the big one and i don't do so much like what i call um just like redirect for no purpose at all because i feel as though just redirecting really doesn't do anything other than redirect i mean it, it, mm-hmm. it hasn't it hasn't really done anything so the other one that i do is um it's I, I'm sorry, I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. So I do this thing called Born to Run, um, where I have a treat in my hand. And I, in the beginning, in a low distraction environment, put a treat in the hand, I go, Born two and then i open my hand on run so when i walk down the street with the dogs i go born two and they're already they're, they're checking it out but once they get to two they're usually looking at me at that point and i go run and i put my treat out and they get the hand so that one actually works works quite well um but the, those are those are kind of the, the the beginning ones and then but a lot of it is just education of thresholds education of cortisol education of you know adrenaline or education of why treats work treat value um and toys on locks like bring a squeaky they're great leave your iphone at home and bring a squeaky um, <laughs> it's all that stuff and like you know distance and that's the hardest thing living in the city is is distance and you have to be willing to cross the street you have to be willing to go watch me let's go turn around you know what i'm saying and, and all that stuff and, and to do it because if your dog's over threshold all the time it's just you know it's, it's no good yeah unfortunately that those compounding effects are working against you not in your favor that is yeah. for sure yeah. and you know i love how you you help your clients understand that like it's their responsibility to give the dog direction and give them the space that they need. Because I think that once we can empower the guardian, like, listen, you're going to have to cross the street. You're going to have to go in alleyways. You're going to have to wedge yourself between cars. Like I think once we can just kind of normalize, like, yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do it. I think we can kind of get over our own mental blocks and we can show up and do the work. And that's when we really start to see those beautiful results start to shine through. Right. And also too, as I tell people too, like, you know, there there possibly could become a time and there is, there is times that happen where you're not always crossing the street because you learn to understand your dog, you learn to understand what his triggers are, what, what is actually going on at that time in, as you had mentioned, and it's true in the environment, the environment is, it's, it's so much about the environment. And um, once you understand all that, you'll have better success. Both of you will, but it, it, it's not up to your dog. It's up, it's up to you. You're the, you're the mom and you're the dad, you know what I mean? It's, it's your right. job. Well, and it's like, you know, we chose them. None of these dogs chose us, right? Like we all chose them. We're all like, cool, I'm going to get a dog. I'm going to bring them into my life. So I think that, you know, that's a cool reframe too of realizing that like it is truly in our hands, right? Like we we chose these dogs, we brought them into our lives and that's what we're here for. Yeah, I tell you, anything too is I tell people with like reactive dogs who are scared of people, like, you know, my dog Scooter will be your best friend as long as you never pat him. (laughs) 
just, just don't pat him. He just wants his space. He has no problem. He'll go anywhere as long as you pat him. It's the problem with people. The people is the ones I don't trust. It's not him. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I had a, a close buddy of mine come visit me in Vermont a couple, I guess over the summer or whatever. And I read him the riot act. I can't even tell you how many times. Just don't pat Scooter. Just don't pat Scooter. He'll come up to you and sniff you. It doesn't mean he wants to get patted. Just don't pat him. Don't pat him. Sure enough, he wasn't there for 10 minutes. Saying, Rah! And I was like, you patted him, didn't you? And he goes, well, I tried. And I was like, well, what do you expect? I told you. Right? Well, and I think that it definitely forces the issue of advocating for your dog when there's just that many things around you that you have to advocate yeah. for, right? People like People just don't know. And, and it's like, and, and so I could give people credit who do call trainers and you know what I mean? And try to do the right thing. And, you know, on my website, we'll shout out www.mypositivepup.com. Um, you know, the whole first thing is, is, you know, no slip leads, no choke callers, no prongs, you know, none of that stuff. It's, it's, it's love, praise, reinforce, repeat. I mean, it really is. It's, it's, it's the same thing. And one of the things that I just want to say, when I first started Saturday Night Live, I guess eight years ago, I had four or five guys who were Iraq vets. And um, they were at the time terrible at what they did at SNL. They, they, they were just, they, they, they weren't great. And I couldn't say anything to them. How could I? Do you know what I'm saying? So what I did was anything they ever did remotely well, I would go, way to go. Awesome. Way to go. Way to go. And I just kept complimenting on that. And um, they ended up being some of the best stagehands there is in the business and and they will say like kenny never criticized us he didn't he just you know it works it, it, it freaking works we live in a society of correction enough is enough let's start you know complimenting each other oh my god amen to that ken yes, okay yes. so ken i want to go ahead and just wrap it up can you please yeah. i know you mentioned your website um can you tell the listeners other places where they can connect with you yes it's at my positive pup on instagram and um there you go. That's, 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 pretty, that's, that's it. Yep. The, the Ken, this was such that. a cool conversation. I know everyone's really going to enjoy it. So everyone go give Ken a follow on Instagram and be sure to take a screenshot of this episode and let us know what was a standout, what you learned from it, what you liked about it. So many things to learn. Ken, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. So I know that CBD is very popular right now, but did you know that there are other cannabinoid profiles that we can use for not only ourselves, but our, our dogs as well? Vetsias has a new product out that is not only CBD, but it also uses CBG and CBN to act together to bring pretty strong results to the dogs. The new combination of the CBG, CBD, and CBN is really good for dogs with significant anxiety, excessive inflammation, or dysfunction of the neurologic system. I have been using the new profiles for Tiva. Many of you know my 14-year-old dog Tiva, and I've seen some really awesome changes in her mobility since starting the CBD, CBG, CBN combination. So if you're interested in trying any CBD products or checking out the new profile, check out vetcs.com and you can use code DisorderlyDogs for 10% off your purchase. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you need help with your dog's behavior, you can learn more about our training services at agoodfeelingdogtraining.com. We post training inspiration and training tips almost daily over on the Instagram at agoodfeeling underscore NCO. If you like this podcast, we would be so grateful if you could share it with a friend or family member who could benefit from all of the information. Um, It's been a total delight. We love this podcast so much. And thank you so much for listening to Disorderly Dogs.